Hey everyone, Joe here with the Modern Heathen Man. I want to welcome you today to the podcast. Today we're going back to some tradition and bringing you some Children of Odin by Padre Colum. Uh, there's a couple stories here. There's four of them. I hope you enjoy them. Anyway, I want to thank you for joining me and say you have a great day. Thanks, guys. Section 19 of The Children of Odin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clatt. The Children of Odin. The Book of Northern Myths. By Parik Colum. Part 3. Chapter 7. Loki's Punishment. The crow went flying toward the north, croaking as she flew, Let Hela keep what she holds. Let Hela keep what she holds. That crow was the hag Thaukt transformed, and the hag Thaukt was Loki. He flew to the north and came into the wastes of Jotunheim. As a crow he lived there, hiding himself from the wrath of the gods. He told the giants that the time had come for them to build the ship Nagelfar, the ship that was to be built out of the nails of dead men, and that was to sail to Asgard on the day of Ragnarok, with the giant Hrymer steering it. And hearkening to what he said, the giants then and there began to build Nagelfar, the ship that gods and men wished to remain unbuilt for long. Then Loki, tiring of the wastes of Jotunheim, flew to the burning south. As a lizard he lived amongst the rocks of Muspelheim, and he made the fire-giants rejoice when he told them of the loss of Frey's sword and of Tyr's right hand. But still in Asgard there was one who wept for Loki, Siguna, his wife. Although he had left her, and had shown his hatred for her, Siguna wept for her evil husband. He left Muspelheim as he had left Jotunheim, and he came to live in the world of men. He knew that he had now come into a place where the wrath of the gods might find him, and so he made plans to be ever ready for escape. He had come to the river, where, ages before, he had slain the otter that was the son of the enchanter, and on the very rock where the otter had eaten the salmon on the day of his killing, Loki built his house. He made four doors to it so that he might see in every direction, and the power that he kept for himself was the power of transforming himself into a salmon. Often as a salmon he swam in the river, but even for the fishes that swam beside him Loki had hatred. Out of flax and yarn he wove a net that men might have the means of taking them out of the water. The wrath that the gods had against Loki did not pass away. It was he who, as Thaukt, the hag, had given Hela the power to keep Baldur unransomed. It was he who had put into Hodur's hand the sprig of mistletoe that had bereft Baldur of life. Empty was Asgard now that Baldur lived no more in the peace-stead, and stern and gloomy grew the minds of the Aesir and the Vanir, with thinking on the direful things that were arrayed against them. Odin in his hall of Valhalla thought only of the ways by which he could bring heroes to him to be his help in defending Asgard. The gods searched through the world, and they found at last the place where Loki had made his dwelling. He was weaving the net to take fishes, when he saw them coming from four directions. He threw the net into the fire so that it was burnt, and he sprang into the river and transformed himself into a salmon. When the gods entered his dwelling, they found only the burnt-out fire. But there was one amongst them who could understand all that he saw. In the ashes were the marks of the burnt net and he knew that these were the tracing of something to catch fishes, and from the marks left in the ashes he made a net that was the same as the one Loki had burnt. 
With it in their hands the gods went down the river, dragging the net through the water. Loki was affrighted to find the thing of his own weaving brought against him. He lay between two stones at the bottom of the river, and the net passed over him. But the gods knew that the net had touched something at the bottom. They fastened weights to it, and they dragged the net through the river again. Loki knew that he might not escape it this time, and he rose in the water and swam toward the sea. The gods caught sight of him as he leaped over a waterfall. They followed him, dragging the net. Thor waded behind, ready to seize him, should he turn back. Loki came out at the mouth of the river, and behold! There was a great eagle hovering over the waves of the sea and ready to swoop down on fishes. He turned back in the river. He made a leap that took him over the net that the gods were dragging. But Thor was behind the net, and he caught the salmon in his powerful hands, and he held him, for all the struggle that Loki made. No fish had ever struggled so before. Loki got himself free, all but his tail, but Thor held to the tail, and brought him amongst the rocks, and forced him to take on his proper form. He was in the hands of those whose wrath was strong against him. They brought him to a cavern, and they bound him to three sharp-pointed rocks. With cords that were made of the sinews of wolves they bound him, and they transformed the cords into iron bands. There they would have left Loki bound and helpless. But Skadi, with her fierce giant blood, was not content that he should be left untormented. She found a serpent that had deadly venom, and she hung this serpent above Loki's head. The drops of venom fell upon him, bringing him anguish drop by drop, minute by minute. So Loki's torture went on. But Saguna with the pitying heart came to his relief. She exiled herself from Asgard, and endured the darkness and the cold of the cavern, that she might take some of the torment away from him who was her husband. Over Loki Saguna stood, holding in her hands a cup into which fell the serpent's venom, thus sparing him from the full measure of anguish. Now and then Saguna had to turn aside to spill out the flowing cup, and then the drops of venom fell upon Loki, and he screamed in agony, twisting in his bonds. It was then that men felt the earth quake. There in his bonds Loki stayed, until the coming of Ragnarok, the twilight of the gods. End of Part 3 End of Section 19「Hey guys, this is Joe at Modern Heathen Man. How are you all today? Hoping you're having a good and uh, great day. Anyway, I wanted to tell you guys about this YouTube channel that I found called Midgard Musings. It's by a man named Jesse and it is incredible. He has new videos uploaded on the channel every Sunday night and he has a live Facebook stream every Sunday at 7pm um, Central Standard Time. Midgard Musings goal is to help build heathen communities around the world with educational content and laid-back fun manner. He values the historical aspect of this path and uses it to help us grow and develop as heathens in modern times. So if you've been a heathen for a while or just brand new to it, definitely check it out. It's something worthwhile. If you'd like to support Midgard Musings by subscribing to youtube.com forward slash Midgard Musings, following on Facebook and purchasing merchandise from the Teespring and Redbubble stores. Redbubble, say that three times. All of which can be found on the YouTube channel video description. 
Midgard Musing also offers handmade driftwood rune sets for sale, and the purchase of these items help support the channel. Just to touch base on that a little bit, I actually own one of those rune sets. They are incredibly nice, good feel, wonderful stuff, good power within them. I'm telling you, worthwhile checking out. So please head on over to Midgard Musings, like and subscribe to the channel, and follow on Facebook and on YouTube at facebook.com slash midgardmusings and youtube.com slash midgardmusings. M-I-D-G-A-R-D-M-U-S-I-N-G-S will find you that Midgard Musings. Thanks, guys, and have a great day. Section 20 of the Children of Odin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Children of Odin. The Book of Northern Myths. By Parik Kolum. Part Four. The Sword of the Volsungs and the Twilight of the Gods. Chapter One. Sigurd's Youth. In Midgard, in a northern kingdom, a king reigned whose name was Alf. He was wise and good, and he had in his house a foster-son, whose name was Sigurd. Sigurd was fearless and strong, so fearless and so strong was he, that he once captured a bear of the forest and drove him to the king's hall. His mother's name was Hjordis. Once, before Sigurd was born, Alf and his father, who was king before him, went on an expedition across the sea, and came into another country. While they were yet afar off they heard the din of a great battle. They came to the battlefield, but they found no living warriors on it, only heaps of slain. One warrior they marked. He was white-bearded and old, and yet he seemed the noblest-looking man Alf or his father had ever looked on. His arms showed that he was a king amongst one of the bands of warriors. They went through the forest searching for survivors of the battle, and hidden in a dell in the forest they came upon two women. One was tall, with blue unflinching eyes and ruddy hair, but wearing the garb of a serving-maid. The other wore the rich dress of a queen, but she was of low stature, and her manner was covert and shrinking. When Alf and his father drew near, the one who had on her the raiment of a queen said, "'Help us, lords, and protect us, and we will show you where a treasure is hidden.' A great battle has been fought between the men of King Lingi and the men of King Sigmund, and the men of King Lingi have won the victory and have gone from the field. But King Sigmund is slain, and we who are of his household hid his treasure, and we can show it to you. The noble warrior, white-haired and white-bearded, who lies yonder, is he King Sigmund? The woman answered, Yes, lord, and I am his queen. "'We have heard of King Sigmund,' said Alf's father. "'His fame and the fame of his race, the Volsungs, is over the wide world.' Alf said no word to either of the women, but his eyes stayed on the one who had on the garb of a serving-maid. She was on her knees, wrapping in a beast's skin two pieces of a broken sword. "'You will surely protect us, good lords,' said she who had on the queenly dress. "'Yea, wife of King Sigmund,' We will protect you and your serving-maid," said Alf's father, the old king. Then the women took the warriors to a wild place on the seashore, and they showed them where King Sigmund's treasure was hidden amongst the rocks—cups of gold and mighty arm-rings and jewelled collars. Prince Alv and his father put the treasure on the ship and brought the two women aboard. 
then they sailed from the land. That was before Sigurd, the foster son of King Alv, was born. Now the mother of Alv was wise, and little of what she saw escaped her noting. She saw that of the two women that her son and her husband had brought into their kingdom, the one who wore the dress of the serving-maid had unflinching eyes and a high beauty, while the one who wore the queenly dress was shrinking and unstately. One night, when all the women of the household were sitting round her, spinning wool by the light of torches in the hall, the queen-mother said to the one who wore the queenly garb, "'Thou art good at rising in the morning. How dost thou know in the dark hours when it wears to dawn?' The one clad in the queenly garb said, "'When I was young I used to rise to milk the cows, and I waken ever since at the same hour.' The queen-mother said to herself, "'It is a strange country in which the royal maids rise to milk the cows.' Then she said to the one who wore the clothes of the serving-maid, "'How dost thou know in the dark hours when the dawn is coming?' "'My father,' she said, "'gave me the ring of gold that I wear, and always before it is time to rise I feel it grow cold on my finger." "'It is a strange country, truly,' said the queen-mother to herself, in which the serving-maids wear rings of gold. When all the others had left, she spoke to the two women who had been brought into her country. To the one who wore the clothes of a serving-maid she said, "'Thou art the queen.' Then the one who wore the queenly clothes said, "'Thou art right, lady. She is the queen, and I cannot any longer pretend to be other than I am.' Then the other woman spoke. Said she, I am the queen, as thou hast said, the queen of King Sigmund who was slain. Because a king sought for me I changed clothes with my serving-maid, my wish being to baffle those who might be sent to carry me away. Know that I am Hjordis, a king's daughter. Many men came to my father to ask for me in marriage, and of those that came there were two whom I heard much of. One was King Lingi, and the other was King Sigmund of the race of the Volsungs. The king my father told me it was for me to choose between these two. Now King Sigmund was old, but he was the most famous warrior in the whole world, and I chose him rather than King Lingi. We were wed. But King Lingi did not lose desire of me, and in a while he came against King Sigmund's kingdom with a great army of men. We hid our treasure by the seashore and I and my maid watched the battle from the borders of the forest. With the help of Grom, his wondrous sword, and his own great warrior strength, Sigmund was able to harry the great force that came against him. But suddenly he was stricken down. Then was the battle lost. Only King Lingi's men survived it, and they scattered to search for me and the treasure of the king. I came to where my lord lay on the field of battle, and he raised himself on his shield when I came and he told me that death was very near him. A stranger had entered the battle at the time when it seemed that the men of King Lingi must draw away. With the spear that he held in his hand he struck at Sigmund's sword, and Grom, the wondrous sword, was broken in two pieces. Then did King Sigmund get his death-wound. "'It must be I shall die,' he said, for the spear against which my sword broke was Gunnir, Odin's spear. Only that spear could have shattered the sword that Odin gave my fathers. Now must I go to Valhalla, Odin's hall of heroes. I weep, I said, because I have no son who might call himself of the great race of the Volsungs. For that you need not weep, said Sigmund. A son will be born to you, my son and yours, 
and you shall name him Sigurd. Take now the broken pieces of my wondrous sword, and give them to my son when he shall be of warrior age. Then did Sigmund turn his face to the ground, and the death-struggle came on him. Odin's Valkyrie took his spirit from the battlefield. And I lifted up the broken pieces of the sword, and with my serving-maid I went and hid in a deep dell in the forest. Then your husband and your son found us, and they brought us to your kingdom, where we have been kindly treated, O queen." Such was the history that Hjordis, the wife of King Sigmund, told to the mother of Prince Alv. Soon afterwards the child was born to her that was Sigmund's son. Sigurd she named him. And after Sigurd was born, the old king died, and Prince Alv became king in his stead. He married Hjordis, she of the ruddy hair, the unflinching ways, and the high beauty, and he brought up her son Sigurd in his house as his foster-son. Sigurd, the son of Sigmund, before he came to warrior's age, was known for his strength and his swiftness, and for the fearlessness that shone round him like a glow. Mighty was the race he sprang from, the Volsung race, men said, but Sigurd will be as mighty as any that have gone before him. He built himself a hut in the forest that he might hunt wild beasts, and live near to one who was to train him in many crafts. This one was Regan, a maker of swords, and a cunning man besides. It was said of Regan that he was an enchanter, and that he had been in the world for longer than the generations of men. No one remembered, nor no one's father remembered, when Regan had come into that country. He taught Sigurd the art of working in metals, and he taught him, too, the lore of other days. But ever as he taught him, he looked at Sigurd strangely, not as a man looks at his fellow, but as a lynx looks at a stronger beast. One day Regan said to young Sigurd, King Alv has thy father's treasure, men say, and yet he treats thee as if thou wert thrall-born. Now Sigurd knew that Regan said this, that he might anger him, and thereafter use him to his own ends. He said, King Alv is a wise and a good king, and he would let me have riches if I had need of them. Thou dost go about as a footboy, and not as a king's son. Any day that it likes me I might have a horse to ride," Sigurd said. "'So thou dost say,' said Regan, and he turned from Sigurd and went to blow the fire of his smithy. Sigurd was made angry, and he threw down the irons on which he was working, and he ran to the horse-pastures by the great river. A herd of horses was there, grey and black and roan and chestnut, the best of the horses that King Alf possessed. As he came near to where the herd grazed, he saw a stranger near, an ancient but robust man, wearing a strange cloak of blue, and leaning on a staff to watch the horses. Sigurd, though young, had seen kings in their halls, but this man had a bearing that was more lofty than any kings he had ever looked on. "'Thou art going to choose a horse for thyself,' said the stranger to Sigurd. "'Yea, father,' Sigurd said. "'Drive the herd first into the river,' the stranger said. Sigurd drove the horses into the wide river. Some were swept down by the current, others struggled back and clambered up the banks of the pastures. But one swam across the river, and throwing up his head, neighed as for a victory. Sigurd marked him. A grey horse he was, young and proud, with a great flowing mane. He went through the water and caught this horse, 
mounted him and brought him back across the river. "'Thou hast done well,' said the stranger. "'Grani, whom thou hast got, is of the breed of Sleipnir, the horse of Odin.' "'And I am of the race of the sons of Odin,' cried Sigurd, his eyes wide and shining with the very light of the sun. "'I am of the race of the sons of Odin, for my father was Sigmund, and his father was Volsung, and his father was Rerir, and his father was Sigi, who was the son of Odin. The stranger, leaning on his staff, looked on the youth steadily. Only one of his eyes was to be seen, but that eye, Sigurd thought, might see through a stone. All thou hast named, the stranger said, were as swords of Odin to send men to Valhalla, Odin's hall of heroes, and of all that thou hast named, there were none but were chosen by Odin's Valkyries for battles in Asgard. Cried Sigurd, Too much of what is brave and noble in the world is taken by Odin for his battles in Asgard. The stranger leaned on his staff, and his head was bowed. What wouldst thou? he said, and it did not seem to Sigurd that he spoke to him. What wouldst thou? The leaves wither and fall off Yggdrasil, and the day of Ragnarok comes? Then he raised his head and spoke to Sigurd. The time is near, he said, when thou mayest possess thyself of the pieces of thy father's sword. Then the man in the strange cloak of blue went climbing up the hill, and Sigurd watched him pass away from his sight. He had held back Grani, his proud horse, but now he turned him and let him gallop along the river in a race that was as swift as the wind. End of section 20 Hey guys, Joe here from the Modern Heathen Man. How are you guys tonight? I hope I'm meeting you well. Anyway, I wanted to tell you guys, while I'm out traveling, it's not always feasible to carry my whole big altar box with me. So sometimes I like a little something in my pocket. And I found a great place to get that from. That's Odin's Beard Woodworking. Great little place out there. It makes small little pocket altars for you with candles and gods and everything in them, little sayings and such. Wonderful work that this man does. Cars everything by hand. He has a couple things going on here. He has little pocket altars that I'm talking about for $25. He has small DD poles of 5 to 6 inches for $40. 7 to 8 inches for $45. 9 to 10 for $50. And 11 to 12 for $60. He has 26 different deities to choose from and more coming every day. Your choices right now are Odin, Thor, Tyr, Loki, Freyr, Baldr, Bragi, Hemdal, Njord, Fenrir, Ullr, Vidar, Hermod, Hel, Freya, Ostri, Skadi, Sif, Er, Frigg, Var, Thrud, Idun, Sigun, Ran, and Njord. That's a lot of different gods to choose from. So you can meet anybody's needs. Tell him what you want. You can go ahead and find him at www.odinsbeardwoodworking.com. He also has a Facebook page, and I know he does some stuff live every once in a while that you can actually watch him carve those things. Anyway, give him a good uh, look-see there and see if he has something that you can use. I guarantee his little pocket ultras will come in handy for you. So anyway, 
Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Section 21 of The Children of Odin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Children of Odin. The Book of Northern Myths. By Parik Kolum. Part 4. Chapter 2. The Sword Grom and the Dragon Fafnir. Mounted upon Grani, his proud horse, Sigurd rode to the hall and showed himself to Alv the king, and to Hjordis his mother. Before the hall he shouted out the Volsung name, and King Alv felt as he watched him that this youth was a match for a score of men. And Hjordis, his mother, saw the blue flame of his eyes, and thought to herself that his way through the world would be as the way of the eagle through the air. Having shown himself before the hall, Sigurd dismounted from Grani, and stroked and caressed him with his hands, and told him that now he might go back and take pasture with the herd. The proud horse breathed fondly over Sigurd, and bounded away. Then Sigurd strode on until he came to the hut in the forest where he worked with the cunning smith Regan. No one was in the hut when he entered. But over the anvil, in the smoke of the smithy fire, there was a work of Regan's hands. Sigurd looked upon it, and a hatred for the thing that was shown rose up in him. The work of Regan's hands was a shield, a great shield of iron. Hammered out on that shield and colored with red and brown colors was the image of a dragon, a dragon lengthening himself out of a cave. Sigurd thought it was the image of the most hateful thing in the world, and the light of the smithy fire falling on it, and the smoke of the smithy fire rising round it, made it seem verily a dragon living in his own element of fire and reek. While he was still gazing on the loathly image, Regan, the cunning smith, came into the smithy. He stood by the wall and he watched Sigurd. His back was bent, his hair fell over his eyes that were all fiery, and he looked like a beast that runs behind the hedges. "'Aye, thou dost look on Fafnir the dragon, son of the Volsungs,' he said to Sigurd. Mayhap it is thou who wilt slay him. I would not strive with such a beast. He is all horrible to me," Sigurd said. With a good sword thou might slay him, and win for thyself more renown than ever thy fathers had," Regan whispered. I shall win renown as my fathers won renown, in battle with men, and in conquest of kingdoms," Sigurd said. Thou art not a true Volsung or thou wouldst gladly go where most danger and dread is," said Regan. Thou hast heard of Fafnir the dragon, whose image I have wrought here. If thou dost ride to the crest of the hills, thou mayest look across to the desolate land where Fafnir has his haunt. Know that once it was fair land where men had peace and prosperity, but Fafnir came and made his den in a cave nearby and his breathings as he went to and came from the river withered up the land and made it the barren waste that men call Nita Heath. Now, if thou art a true Volsung, thou wilt slay the dragon, and let that land become fair again, and bring the people back to it, and so add to King Alv's domain. I have naught to do with the slaying of dragons, Sigurd said. I have to make war on King Lingi, and avenge upon him the slaying of Sigmund my father. What is the slaying of Lingi and the conquest of his kingdom to the slaying of Fafnir the dragon?" Regan cried. I will tell thee what no one else knows of Fafnir the dragon. 
he guards a hoard of gold and jewels the like of which was never seen in the world. All this hoard you can make yours by slaying him." "'I do not covet riches,' Sigurd said. "'No riches is like to the riches that Fafnir guards. His hoard is the hoard that the dwarf Andvari had from the world's early days. Once the gods themselves paid it over as a ransom. And if thou wilt win this hoard, thou wilt be as one of the gods." "'How dost thou know that of which thou speakst, Regan?' Sigurd said. "'I know, and one day I may tell thee how I know. And one day I may hearken to thee. But speak to me no more of this dragon. I would have thee make a sword, a sword that will be mightier and better shapen than any sword in the world. Thou canst do this, Regan, for thou art accounted the best swordsmith among men." Regan looked at Sigurd out of his small and cunning eyes, and he thought it was best to make himself active. So he took the weightiest pieces of iron and put them into his furnace, and he brought out the secret tools that he used when a masterwork was claimed from his hands. All day Sigurd worked beside him, keeping the fire at its best glow, and bringing water to cool the blade as it was fashioned and refashioned, and as he worked he thought only about the blade and about how he would make war upon King Lingi and avenge the man who was slain before he himself was born. All day he thought only of war and of the beaten blade, but at night his dreams were not upon wars nor sharpened blades, but upon Fafnir the dragon. He saw the heath that was left barren by his breath, and he saw the cave where he had his den, and he saw him crawling down from his cave, his scales glittering like rings of mail, and his length the length of a company of men on the march. The next day he worked with Regan to shape the great sword. When it was shapen with all the cunning Regan knew, it looked indeed a mighty sword. Then Regan sharpened it, and Sigurd polished it. And at last he held the great sword by its iron hilt. Then Sigurd took the shield that had the image of Fafnir the dragon upon it, and he put the shield over the anvil of the smithy. Raising the great sword in both his hands, he struck full on the iron shield. The stroke of the sword sheared away some of the shield, but the blade broke in Sigurd's hands. Then in anger he turned on Regan, crying out, "'Thou hast made a knave's sword for me, to work with thee again. Thou must make me a Volsung's sword.' Then he went out and called to Grani, his horse, and mounted him and rode to the river-bank like the sweep of the wind. Regan took more pieces of iron and began to forge a new sword, uttering as he worked runes that were about the hoard that Fafnir the dragon guarded. And Sigurd that night dreamt of glittering treasure that he coveted not, masses of gold and heaps of glistening jewels. He was Regan's help the next day and they both worked to make a sword that would be mightier than the first. For three days they worked upon it, and then Regan put into Sigurd's hands a sword, sharpened and polished, that was mightier and more splendid-looking than the one that had been forged before. And again Sigurd took the shield that had the image of the dragon upon it, and he put it upon the anvil. Then he raised his arms and struck his full blow. The sword cut through the shield, but when it struck the anvil it shivered in his hands. He left the smithy angrily and called to Grani, his proud horse. He mounted and rode on like the sweep of the wind. Later he came to his mother's bower and stood before Hjordis. "'A greater sword must I have,' said he, "'than one that is made of metal dug out of the earth. The time has come, mother, 
when thou must put into my hands the broken pieces of Grom, the sword of Sigmund, and the Volsungs. Hjordis measured him with the glance of her eyes, and she saw that her son was a mighty youth, and one fit to use the sword of Sigmund and the Volsungs. She bade him go with her to the king's hall. Out of the great stone chest that was in her chamber she took the beast's skin and the broken blade that was wrapped in it. She gave the pieces into the hands of her son. "'Behold, the halves of Grom,' she said, "'of Grom, the mighty sword that in the far-off days Odin left in the Branstock, in the tree of the house of Volsung. I would see Grom new-shapen in thy hands, my son.' Then she embraced him as she had never embraced him before, and standing there with her ruddy hair about her, she told him of the glory of Grom and of the deeds of his fathers in whose hands the sword had shone. Then Sigurd went to the smithy, and he wakened Regan out of his sleep, and he made him look on the shining halves of Sigmund's sword. He commanded him to make out of these halves a sword for his hand. Regan worked for days in his smithy, and Sigurd never left his side. At last the blade was forged, and when Sigurd held it in his hand, fire ran along the edge of it. Again he laid the shield that had the image of the dragon upon it on the anvil of the smithy. Again with his hands on its iron hilt he raised the sword for a full stroke. He struck, and the sword cut through the shield and sheared through the anvil, cutting away its iron horn. Then did Sigurd know that he had in his hands the Volsung's sword. He went without and called to Grani, and like the sweep of the wind rode down to the river's bank. Shreds of wool were floating down the water. Sigurd struck at them with his sword, and the fine wool was divided against the water's edge. Hardness and fineness, Grom could cut through both. That night Grom, the Volsung's sword, was under his head when he slept, but still his dreams were filled with images that he had not regarded in the daytime, the shine of a hoard that he coveted not, and the gleam of the scales of a dragon that was too loathly for him to battle with. End of section 21 Hey everyone, Joe here from the Modern Heathen Man. I was looking for some new stuff for my beard, and I was looking around and I wanted something my wife would like as well. I was looking for a good product that didn't leave my beard feeling greasy, that nourished it and kept it moist, and had a good scent to it as well. Um, so in discussing with my wife, we tried a few different things, and I found this wonderful heathen place called Beast Curiosities. Now, they don't just offer beard oil. They have quite a few different products available through them. Um, you definitely want to go ahead and check them out at beastcuriosities.com. But I specifically tried the beard oil. Um, I tried Hell's Respite. I tried Tears Loyalty. And I tried, give me one second, Yord's Wilderness. All of these were really great beard oils. They all had wonderful scents that lasted a long time and would stay with me throughout the whole day. They nourished my beard and kept it good. And they also made it that it felt nice and was good to smell. And other people around me liked it quite a bit. So when you actually get in their oils, they tried really hard to produce an oil that does what it says it's going to do while nourishing your beard as well. 
They tried a few products till they got the great one together and they call it their magical beard oil. I will tell you, it is magical. It smells great. Even after going to the pool with my wife for about three hours, my beard still smelled great and felt great. So with that said, I'm going to tell you to go ahead and check them out. Again, they're not only beard oil, but Beast Curiosity is a place you want to go. BeastCuriosities.com. You can also email him and check out his products at Beast at BeastCuriosities.com. They have a Twitter account at BS Curiosities. And you can also find them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Beast Curiosities. You definitely want to go out and get some of this if you have a beard. It is a wonderful product, something great to use. My wife and her friends all love this product quite a bit. So go ahead and get it if you get a chance, guys. It's a wonderful product. Thank you, guys, and have a great day. Section 22 of The Children of Odin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Children of Odin, The Book of Northern Myths, by Parik Kolum. Part 4. Chapter 3. The Dragon's Blood. Sigurd went to war. With the men that King Alv gave him, he marched into the country that was ruled over by the slayer of his father. The war that he waged was short, and the battles that he won were not perilous. Old was King Lingi now, and feeble was his grasp upon his people. Sigurd slew him, and took away his treasure, and added his lands to the lands of King Alv. But Sigurd was not content with the victory he had gained. He had dreamt of stark battles, and of renown that would be hardily won. What was the war he had waged to the wars that Sigmund his father and Volsung his father's father had waged in their days? Not content was Sigurd. He led his men back by the hills from the crests of which he could look upon the dragon's haunts, and having come as far as those hills, he bade his men return to King Alf's hall with the spoils he had won. They went, and Sigurd stayed upon the hills and looked across Gnita Heath to where Fafnir the dragon had his lair. All blasted and wasted was the heath with the fiery breath of the dragon. And he saw the cave where Fafnir abode, and he saw the track that his comings and goings made. For every day the dragon left his cave in the cliffs, crossing the heath to come to the river at which he drank. For the length of a day Sigurd watched from the hills the haunt of the dragon. In the evening he saw him lengthening himself out of the cave, and coming on his track across the heath, in seeming like a ship that travels swiftly because of its many oars. Then to Regan and his smithy he came. To that cunning man Sigurd said, Tell me all thou dost know of Fafnir the dragon. Regan began to talk, but his speech was old and strange and filled with runes. When he had spoken at all, Sigurd said, All thou hast told me thou wilt have to say over again, in a speech that is known to men of our day. Then said Regan, Of a horde I spoke. The dwarf Andvari guarded it from the first days of the world. But one of the Aesir forced Andvari to give the horde to him, masses of gold and heaps of jewels, and the Aesir gave it to Hreidmar, who was my father. For the slaying of his son Otter, the Aesir gave the hoard to Hreidmar, the greatest hoard that had ever been seen in the world. But not long was it left to Hreidmar to gloat over. 
for a son slew a father that he might possess that hoard. Fafnir, that son was Fafnir, my brother. Then Fafnir, that no one might disturb his possession of the hoard, turned himself into a dragon, a dragon so fearful that none dare come nigh him. And I, Regan, was stricken with covetousness of the hoard. I did not change myself into another being, but by the magic my father knew, I made my life longer than the generations of men, hoping that I would see Fafnir slain, and then have the mighty hoard under my hands. Now, son of the Volsungs, thou dost know all that has to do with Fafnir the dragon, and the great hoard that he guards. Little do I care about the hoard he guards, Sigurd said. I care only that he has made the king's good lands into a waste, and that he is an evil thing to men. I would have the renown of slaying Fafnir the dragon. With Grom, the sword thou hast, thou couldst slay Fafnir, Regan cried, his body shaken with his passion for the hoard. Thou couldst slay him with the sword thou hast. Hearken now, and I will tell thee how thou mightst give him the deathly stroke through the coils of his mail. Hearken, for I have thought of it all. The track of the dragon to the river is broad, for he takes ever the one track. Dig a pit in the middle of that track, and when Fafnir comes over it, strike up into his coils of mail with Grom thy great sword. Grom only may pierce that mail. Then will Fafnir be slain, and the hoard will be left guardless. "'What thou sayest is wise, Regan,' Sigurd answered. "'We will make this pit, and I will strike Fafnir in the way thou sayest.' Then Sigurd went, and he rode upon Grani, his proud horse, and he showed himself to King Alv, and to Hjordis, his mother. Afterwards he went with Regan to the heath that was the haunt of the dragon, and in his track they dug a pit for the slaying of Fafnir. And, lest his horse should scream aloud at the coming of the dragon, Sigurd had Grani sent back to a cave in the hills. It was Regan that brought Grani away. "'I am fearful and can do nothing to help thee, son of the Volsungs,' he said. "'I will go away and await the slaying of Fafnir.' He went, and Sigurd lay down in the pit they had made, and practised thrusting upward with his sword. He lay with his face upward, and with his two hands he thrust the mighty sword upward. But as he lay there, he bethought of a dread thing that might happen, namely that the blood and the venom of the dragon might pour over him as he lay there, and waste him flesh and bone. When he thought of this, Sigurd hastened out of the pit, and he dug other pits nearby, and he made a passage for himself from one pit to the other, that he might escape from the flow of the dragon's envenomed blood. As he lay down again in the pit, he heard the treading of the dragon, and he heard the dragon's strange and mournful cry. Mightily the dragon came on, and he heard his breathing. His shape came over the pit. Then the dragon held his head, and looked down on Sigurd. It was the instant for him to make stroke with Grom. He did not let the instant pass. He struck mightily under the shoulder and toward the heart of the beast. The sword went through the hard and glittering scales that were the creature's mail. Sigurd pulled out the sword and drew himself through the passage and out into the second pit, as Fafnir's envenomed blood drenched where he had been. Drawing himself up out of the second pit, he saw the huge shape of Fafnir heaving and lashing. 
he came to him and thrust his sword right through the dragon's neck. The dragon reared up as though to fling himself down on Sigurd with all his crushing bulk and dread talons, with his fiery breath and his envenomed blood. But Sigurd leapt aside and ran far off. Then did Fafnir scream his death-scream. After he had torn up rocks with his talons, he lay prone on the ground, his head in the pit that was filled with his envenomed blood. Then did Regan, hearing the scream that let him know that Fafnir was slain, come down to where the battle had been fought. When he saw that Sigurd was alive and unharmed, he uttered a cry of fury. For his plan had been to have Sigurd drowned and burnt in the pit with the stream of Fafnir's envenomed blood. But he mastered his fury, and showed a pleased countenance to Sigurd. "'Now wilt thou have renown?' he cried. "'Forever wilt thou be called Sigurd, Fafnir's bane. More renown than ever any of thy fathers had wilt thou have, O prince of the Volsungs.' So he spoke, saying fair words to him, for now that he was left alive there was something he would have Sigurd do. "'Fafnir is slain,' Sigurd said, and the triumph over him was not lightly won. Now may I show myself to King Alv and to my mother, and the gold from Fafnir's hoard will make me a great spoil." "'Wait,' said Regan cunningly. "'Wait. Thou hast yet to do something for me. With the sword thou hast, cut through the dragon, and take out his heart for me. When thou hast taken it out, roast it that I may eat of it, and become wiser than I am. Do this for me, who showed thee how to slay Fafnir." Sigurd did what Regan would have him do. He cut out the heart of the dragon, and he hung it from stakes to roast. Regan drew away and left him. As Sigurd stood before the fire putting sticks upon it, there was a great silence in the forest. He put his hand down to turn an ashen branch into the heart of the fire. As he did, a drop from the roasting dragon-heart fell upon his hand. The drop burnt into him. He put his hand to his mouth to ease the smart, and his tongue tasted the burning blood of the dragon. He went to gather wood for the fire. In a clearing that he came to there were birds. He saw four on a branch together. They spoke to each other in birds' notes, and Sigurd heard and knew what they were saying. Said the first bird, how simple is he who has come into this dell! He has no thought of an enemy, and yet he who was with him but a while ago has gone away, that he may bring a spear to slay him. For the sake of the gold that is in the dragon's cave he would slay him," said the second bird. And the third bird said, If he would eat the dragon's heart himself he would know all wisdom. But the fourth bird said, He has tasted a drop of the dragon's blood and he knows what we are saying." The four birds did not fly away, nor cease from speaking. Instead they began to tell of a marvellous abode that was known to them. Deep in the forest, the birds sang, there was a hall that was called the House of Flame. Its ten walls were Uni, Iri, Bari, Ori, Varns, Vegdrasil, Deri, Uri, Delinger, Atvarder, and each wall was built by the dwarf whose name it bore. All round the hall there was a circle of fire through which none might pass, and within the hall a maiden slept, and she was the wisest and the bravest and the most beautiful maiden in the world. Sigurd stood like a man enchanted, listening to what the birds sang. 
but suddenly they changed the flow of their discourse, and their notes became sharp and piercing. "'Look, look!' cried one. "'He is coming against the youth!' "'He is coming against the youth with a spear!' cried another. "'Now will the youth be slain unless he is swift!' cried a third. Sigurd turned round and he saw Regan treading the way toward him, grim and silent, with a spear in his hands. The spear would have gone through Sigurd had he stayed one instant longer in the place where he had been listening to the speech of the birds. As he turned he had his sword in his hand, and he flung it, and Grom struck Regan on the breast. Then Regan cried out, "'I die! I die without having laid my hands on the hoard that Fafnir guarded! Ah, a curse was upon the hoard, for Hreidmar and Fafnir and I have perished because of it! May the curse of the gold now fall on the one who is my slayer!" Then did Regan breathe out his life. Sigurd took the body and cast it into the pit that was alongside the dead Fafnir. Then, that he might eat the dragon's heart and become the wisest of men, he went to where he had left it roasting. And he thought that when he had eaten the heart he would go into the dragon's cave and carry away the treasure that was there, and bring it as spoil for his battle to King Alv and to his mother. Then he would go through the forest, and find the house of flame, where slept the maiden who was the wisest and bravest and most beautiful in the world. But Sigurd did not eat the dragon's heart. When he came to where he had left it roasting, he found that the fire had burnt it utterly. End of section 22 Thank you.